Husky Nation, it's the end of the third quarter. Are you looking for the perfect tequila for your next get-together? The answer is born from a hero. Hero de Leon, direct from the prestigious Merguilla family just outside Guadalajara, honoring their great-grandfather who saved Mexico from a horrible civil war. It's authentic, courageous, with great integrity, just like the general. Enjoy the smoothest Blanco tequila you've ever tasted or the rich flavor of our Reposado, aged for seven months in American bourbon barrels. Or the ultimate tequila, our Añejo, which is aged for 18 months in the same bourbon oak barrels. Go to your favorite liquor retailer or restaurant and ask for Hero de Leon because it's always the end of the third quarter. Imported by Zombie Beverages, Mercer Island, Washington. Hey, Husky fans, welcome back to Fourth and Inches, a Husky podcast. My name is Trevor Mueller. With me is Jake Grant, Coach V, and UW Washington is still sitting at the number five position after taking care of USC. Uh, I got a lot to say about this. I think that the committee is wrong. Uh, I feel like it's lazy in a lot of the ways that they're doing things by really not moving anybody around regardless of the wins uh, or lack of excitement around the wins, the quality of the resumes. I got a lot to say about it, but you know, I got a lot of really talented people in front of me right now. So we're going to talk about Utah, but I want to get each of you guys' take on where we're at right now. Nothing has changed in like the top nine, 10, 11. So uh, coach, what do you got? We are running out of opportunities to improve our standing before the Pac-12 championship game, assuming we are fortunate enough to win this weekend and and make sure that we get in. Um, I always kind of think, you know, in the back of my mind, it's going to take care of itself, but that's not exactly true. If you started off as a, the season as a top 10 team and you've beaten everybody on your schedule, which include, you know, a win over Oregon, road wins against Arizona and USC, whatnot, um, and you're, you're still at five. I mean, you can't say that, well, it's all about the eye test because some of these teams have looked horrid and you can't say it's all about the resume because two of the teams on, in the top four don't really have a resume. So, um, I, I it was somebody I was watching on Twitter today. It might've been McElroy. It might've been somebody else who was like, they're kind of picking and choosing yeah. the criteria from team to team. And again, I keep saying this. It's all for ratings. It's also we'll all argue about it. We'll all tweet about it. We'll talk about it. Um, so I mean, it just fuels the fire and the interest and the ratings for this stuff. But Utah's a good team. If we take care, of, if we take care of business at home and do it, you know, in a fashion that's not like, you know, we just we just scraped by, and nothing changes. I mean, come on. And then we have one more opportunity against Oregon State. I mean, one more opportunity before the end of the regular season because no one's going to care if we beat Wazoo. So, again, the resume at that point, there's going to be people jumping off buildings screaming, you know, why is Washington five? Yeah, you know, I when they when the CFP committee came out with the standings, I texted you. I, I might have texted the group. I think I texted the group, actually. And said, I'm done watching this. It's an absolute atrocity. And I'm going to stand by that. I am not going to watch another CFP committee prediction show again until it matters. It doesn't matter right now. And that's what I keep telling myself. And I believe it. I, I, re I really, truly do believe that what they're coming out with right now absolutely does not matter. They want to hold Washington off long enough to watch us lose and then drop us back to 10 and say, ah, see, we told you. So Washington's bad, you know, Oregon's good and Texas is better. And Alabama's playing lights out right now, even though they have a, a home loss against Texas. And, and so when I, when I sit down at the end of every Tuesday until conference championship season, I will not be turning on ESPN for that specific reason. We got a boycott on our hands. I'm, I'm not giving them ratings because it's absolutely garbage television what they're putting on the on mm -hmm. on ESPN right now. What is becoming clear to me, and I'm I'm curious to hear what your take is, everybody else is like, I'm actually I'm not sure that it would have mattered if we covered against the two bad teams that we ultimately beat. Because we were at five then, and I don't think 
a resounding win against Arizona State and Stanford, even if you cover, I don't think that puts you in the top four. I really don't. So they're they're actually saying something that is not true, does not hold water, in my opinion. I don't think that had we covered, we would be sitting at four right now. What do you guys think? If we had covered, th- those would have been teams that we should have handled. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly what they said. They would have I- said if we beat Stanford – you know, it shouldn't have been a test anyway, so it's not mm-hmm. a good win anyways. And yet, and they and they they hold up the win against Ohio, uh, Rutgers and Ohio State as like a huge win. It's like, I, I'm sorry, is Rutgers a good team? Since when? Yeah. And, and I've heard some of the excuses coming out about, oh, well, Florida State played without the two best receivers last weekend. They still won. I'm like, we haven't had Jalen McMillan since the middle of the Michigan State game. Um Oh, well, when Florida State played base, BC, supposedly some guys were sick. Uh, hello? <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of how we were. Did you see up. our quarterback over the last two weeks before USC? <laughs> yeah. So the bottom line is um, they're going to do whatever they want to do, and then they will change the narrative to suit their argument, which means that we just basically – I've come to the conclusion that we need to beat Utah by 50 points this weekend. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's ESPN does a really good job of pushing a narrative on fans that don't understand what's going on, 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 on naive fans, right? They have a narrative that they want to push on these, these fans that don't know what they're looking at. They don't know the product that they're watching. And all they see is Texas and Alabama and Oregon and USC. And, and for the fans that have the knowledge and the ability, they're listening to us. What a, hey, a, there you the greatest, go. We have the greatest they, fans in the world, and they're you just, intelligent. You just and described they Oregon versus Washington, naive and uneducated versus think people that know their stuff. Yeah. You could have just used those words, Jay. I, right? I know, but I wanted to put it more eloquently. <laughs> and there, there are some people who are, I think, advocating for Washington to be in a better spot. I think Joel Klatt uh, goes between – he did put us as a Tier 2 program. And I'm having a hard time with that. People are really getting all over the defense. And um, I think at a national level, when you're 35,000 feet in the air, you look at stats, you look at the um, the scores. Uh, but, you know, the reality is Stanford, of course, you know, they were able to move the ball on us. We had a third or fourth string safety. We got players playing out of position. And then you play against Caleb Williams in that offense. And of course they're going to score points, but they made plays. I'm really excited to see what they do against a defense that's, or an offense that's much more one dimensional to see if that they can find ways to keep this score relatively low. And I think the thing that's going to really help them is the guys that are healthy, especially the corner position. And you saw Mish play a lot of safety is those guys are good tacklers, and I think that's going to be really important against like a team like Utah. Yeah, I think too yeah. much was made of like our defense from last week. It was never going to be a defensive battle, and expecting it to retroactively be that is a little bit fitting the narrative of like, okay, well, we need to pick on Washington for something, so we're just going to say against USC they were terrible defensively. Name yeah, that's, like that's go not ahead. A normal offense that they had to go against. It's not a normal quarterback, right? And- their offense was moving the ball so easily they had no time to sit and rest and oh oh, look uh the offense scored in two minutes so we got to go back there and chase Caleb around and you know whatever so like I kept saying last week this is going to be my litmus test to see how we do against a, a more traditional offensive team that's maybe not as dynamic um a couple weeks a few weeks ago against ASU despite the fact that we were in the dumps offensively and everybody was sick. The defense completely, you know, yeah. played up to par. And, you know, against Oregon, they did a really good job and they were flying around, they were physical. So maybe that wasn't the real representation of our defense. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do on Saturday. Well, and I'm, some of those I'm, mountains- hang on, hang on, hang on. One second. Sorry, Trevor. I just want to jump on that real quick. I'm glad that you brought up Arizona State because I did have, you look at two offenses, you look at Arizona State's and you look at USC's and whose offense more resembles Utah's. It's absolutely Arizona State's. We gave up seven against Arizona State 
and we give up 42 against USC. We're not going to give up 42 against Utah. Utah's offense is way, way more like Arizona State's offense than it is USC's. You're 100% correct. And I just don't know. I'm really happy this game's at 1230 uh, on a big network because I think that that's going to really benefit some of the talking heads around the national media that are concocting these narratives that we're seeing somebody who's starting to kind of live rent free in my head a little bit. And I've gone back and forth, whether or not I like him because Josh Pate for everything, how much he's big Oregon guy. He has continued to say that Husky stadium is the loudest stadium he's been in. However, in his podcast with all of his, he was wrong about Dylan Johnson, which the game he was at, he said that Dylan Johnson hadn't run for a hundred yards before USC, which is not true. He had a hundred yards against Oregon. So when you're getting a little bit of disinformation and you're getting agendas, that's when Washington gets hurt. And Leah, again, it goes back to what you've said. And I feel like I've broken record a little bit. We have to do a better job. The department has to do a better job. The coaches have to do a better job of marketing themselves. And they started in a hole and I think they're doing a great job and Mm -hmm. years to come, that's going to pay off. But right now they're kind of reaping what the previous coaching staffs have sowed. Right. And I think that we're seeing now, the influence of Jennifer Cohen being on that CFP committee is very little, if any at all. Like we were so excited to get her on that committee and like, oh, so sad, like to lose her to USC while she's on the committee. I don't think we'd be sitting anywhere differently if she were like wearing purple and now she's wearing red. I don't think it would have made a difference. There's only one person from the West Coast on that committee. They need to have several, but they're not going to. Yeah, and that's the bummer about it too, right? Is that you just mentioned it. There's only one person on the West Coast in that committee and the rest of the people are not getting eyeballs on the West Coast. And it's not even just Washington. Mm -hmm. Yeah, honestly, they have no idea about Utah. All they know about Utah is that they got their, you know, their stuff pushed in by Oregon. That's all they know about Utah. And Mm -hmm. so it's really upsetting, you know, even if Washington goes out and wins this game, they're going to go, well, or, you know, Utah just got destroyed by Oregon. So is, is that really that great of a win? Well, Utah's looked pretty good the rest of the year outside of that. They still have a top 10 defense. So, you know, they're, they're playing good football regardless. Yeah, I just really want to beat Utah by more than what Oregon beat them by. That's my goal. I you know what I like that goal so let's get into I'm not sure it's gonna happen that's just like like you set the bar high and see if you can meet it and that's where I'm setting it looking at Utah they're seven and two four and two in conference their best win was a 14-7 win against UCLA and a 34-32 win against USC their losses this year to Oregon State 21 to seven and then of course the 35-6 beat down uh in Rice Eccles uh to Oregon uh, outside of that, their outlier win last week was insane. Uh, they just absolutely dismantled Arizona State 55-3. Arizona State is down a ton of linemen. Trenton Borgay was out. They just they have, I think, six healthy linemen left uh, in that program. That program is just depleted. And Air- Utah was tough, and they took advantage of it. And they were also playing like a wounded animal, right? They had just gotten beat, embarrassed on a national stage with game day there and everything. I mean, you, you can't you can't write a worse narrative for Utah in that situation. Uh, they come into Washington uh, as nine-and-a-half-point dogs. Jake, what do you have on the offense? You know, you kind of – you're really irritating me. The, the more you mention the Arizona State game, um, that's not Utah's offense. Um you look at you look at I mean we could just look at stats alone right you look at Bryson Barnes their quarterback he's got 930 yards on the season throwing not great numbers you look at Jaquindon Jackson he's got 598 yards he, you know he's not he's not lighting the world on fire Dylan Johnson has 686 their quarterback has less than a thousand to Michael Penix's 3,000 you, you can you can look down the line on Utah's offense statistically and go, it's not a very good offense. And, and, and one of their better running backs is a safety. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and Utah does run the ball better than they do 
they do throw the ball. Um, they average 160 yards on the ground a game. Um, they, you know, they've been sufficient. Um, so everybody that's kind of looking at this goes, yeah, but what about Arizona state and, and what they did? And I, I tell them to shut up. I don't care about one game against Arizona state where Utah came out and obliterated them. If you look at Utah's defense in a nutshell, if you look at what Utah did against the three best defenses they played so far, it's U- it's UCLA, it's Oregon State, and it's Oregon. They got 14 points, 7 points, and 7 points. I'm not saying Washington's defense is UCLA's defense or Oregon State's defense, but they're sure as heck not Arizona State's defense. Arizona State has a decent defense, but they have an atrocious offense. And one of those touchdowns for US UCLA was the first play of the game pick six. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't think that Utah is going to come out here and set the world on fire offensively against us. What they are going to try to do is they are going to try to run the ball and they're going to try to keep the ball out of Michael Penix's hands and Dylan Johnson's hands, because the more clock that they chew up, the longer that they keep that offense on the sideline, the colder they get. It's kind of like stealing a, a page out of the Arizona state playbook. You keep that offense on the sideline with cameras pointed on them on the sideline, they the offense does have a tendency of getting a little bit cold, and they do start to lose a little bit of rhythm. And Utah's absolutely going to rely on that and their defense in this game. Yeah, the defense, the offense is just they're they're not good. Even with that fifty five point outburst, they're still only averaging twenty five points a game. Mm-hmm. They're the worst throwing team. They're the 12th best throwing team at 160 yards a game, Yeah, which is just insane. They can run the ball. You're right. Defensively, that's where they're, they're, you know, it's Kyle Whittingham team. They're very good defensively. Uh, They're the best defense against the pass, only allowing 201 yards through the area game. 81 yards on the ground is second in the conference, and they're only giving up 16 points a game. You can kind of throw in doing this. I just I looked at what the upper echelon, the top tier teams did to them. And Oregon scored 30 plus points. Of course, they kept them under their average uh, by about 10 points. And they kept UCLA or USC about 13 points under their their points per game average. So they are taking they're they are making life a little bit harder for offenses. But some of the guys that bolted for the NFL, they have been able to find holes, but I don't know necessarily if this is a defense that uh, was here last year. USC has carved them up both times. They just haven't done quite enough, especially defensively, to beat them. And Washington's offense is 10 points better than USC's, so uh, I feel pretty good about that. It's going to be tough. It's going to be physical, but Washington's offensive line is getting back healthy at the perfect time. The flu is almost gone from the program and they looked really efficient. They're not, it's not going to be 40, 52 points easy this time, but Washington's going to be able to move the ball against this defense. Are we going to have our offensive line get pushed against their defensive line? I know that they are really good defensively. And that's like my biggest question mark, um, our O-line versus their D-line. What do you think? I think our run game is going to be tested this week because I think their interior guys are big and stru- big and stout. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they have this. Uh, they have Jonah Ellis, who's got eleven and a half sacks this year. Yeah, and he can't. He kind of came out of nowhere. Like his first couple of years in the program, he had four total sacks. Yeah, eleven and a half sacks. Uh, you know, he's forced to fumble. He's basically their their pass rush, and they've got a couple other guys like Logan Fano that uh, we recruited. Um, but you know, he's got like three and a half, you know, he's Ellis is the kid that we absolutely need to have eyes on at all times. I don't think we're going to get the same kind of push this week, obviously, because USC just, I do think we'll be able to run the ball some, and to be honest, I don't think Utah's secondary is as good as it has been, or at least as talented as it's been in, in past years. I'm not worried about scoring. I'm not worried about scoring in this game. I just want to make sure that, you know, we do the things necessary to get off the field when we need to. Mm. This is not a dynamic offense. They are not a dynamic passing team. They will try a million different ways to run the ball. They do it with a lot of people. And you were talking about their safety, Sione Vake, who, you know, was getting running back reps uh, Mm -hmm. midway through the season and having some success with that. And they kind of break this thing up as committees. He's kind of like a wildcat quarterback a lot of the time. 
but I mean, the weapons on the outside are are not what you know USC had, not what we have. It's just going to come down to okay, are we going to get off the field in third down? Are we going to generate a pass rush when they do pass? And we're just going to be able to like keep them in third and long. You know, mm-hmm. if it's third one, third and two, they can they can muscle their way through and kind of stay on the field because that's the only way they're going to slow us down is if they just take possessions away. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm glad that you mentioned that too because I do think that the only way that you can kind of shoot yourself in the foot, and I'm going to be super obvious here, is by turning the ball over against these guys. These This defense is super op- opportunistic. They got eight interceptions, five fumble recoveries on the season, and and what you can't do is give them more possessions than and then is necessary, right, than, than they're supposed to have. You need to, you can move the ball on this defense. I've seen teams move the ball. It's when they start getting into the red zone or when teams start turning it over um, is when Utah's defense starts locking them down and then offenses get rattled and lose the rhythm. If you can keep rhythm going against these guys, you can score on them offensively. Our offense is that good. I 100% agree with you. And I think it does come down to stopping uh, their varied run attacks. And I don't know, you know, it, I guess Cameron Fibiculanen played like one snap uh, and we saw a lot of, like I already mentioned, Mish Powell at the safety position. I think that could, having Cam Fab back would be awesome. What would be really, really important is having, you know, I think this is where Elijah Jackson can have a little bit of a redemption to her because he is pretty good at tackling. And I see Thaddeus Dixon having a big game because of how physical he is. I like the idea of having those two on the field without taking away reps from, of course, Mish or Jabbar Mohammed. But I think those guys are pretty physical going along with that safety position. If it's not 100%, I think this is a situation where maybe you'll see Mish play in that position just to get Thaddeus or Elijah on the field. Yeah, I could totally see that. I I think this is the game that you want to bring your physicality. Mm -hmm. Utah offensively and defensively brings it physically. And if you don't need to match their physicality, but you need to be dang close and you need to have guys that are willing to make the necessary tackles and as hard as I've been on Elijah Jackson this year, that that kid does break down. He does make tackles. And and this is kind of the game that, you, like you mentioned, is is built for him. Utah is not going to take a ton of shots. Right. Um, I think when they do, I do think that they are going to take them at Jackson. And all yeah. he needs to do is just make the a couple plays that he needs to make. Outside of that, all he needs to do is get downfield and tackle, which he's been very efficient at this year. And they're two, sorry, they're three leading receivers all average less than 12 yards of reception. Yeah. They're two guys who average like in the 20s have six receptions apiece. Mm-hmm. And one of them is the safety Vaki. So <laughs> I, this is not an explosive offense. You have to just dig into the trenches and do the work. They have a you know, solid offensive line always. They're going to find a way to kind of grind, grind it out on you. We need Thule and the rest of the crew up front to just control the line of scrimmage, make them throw the ball when they don't want to. Because I can honestly see this going one of two ways. It could be a really like a a slugfest, just kind of frustrating, and they're going to chew up some yards like Scatterbo did against, you know, when we were playing ASU. Just we got him, and then he grinds it out and keeps them on the field a little bit longer. Or it's going to be the Huskies' defense dictating the tempo, bringing some pressure, you know, shooting the run gaps and forcing them into thirds and longs, forcing Utah to kind of go out of their comfort zone. And this could be a semi-decent, comfortable win. If Washington, I, and I hate saying this because I, I hate predicting the flow of games, and even even thinking about how the game could potentially go in different ways. But if Washington goes up two scores quick, oh. um, Utah's not built to come back from that. And that's where you've seen Utah struggle is, is if they're dependent on their offense, they shrink. And, and that's where you take advantage. And that's where you start taking shots on them because their defense has to get aggressive to get them back in the game. So if you, if you see us go up early, I would start to feel pretty comfortable with it. Well, they don't have the ability to be one dimensional, right? It's just with where they're at with their quarterback situation, and their injury situation writ large, they just they don't have that ability. Who's somebody that you're going to be watching out for on the defense that I th- that you think is going to be very impactful 
for, for in order for Washington to come out with a win? Uh, for me, it's Edifon. It's Edifon Ulufusio. I I was critical of him last week against USC. USC is a top offense, maybe nationally. Uh, uh definitely in the Pac-12, they're a top offense nationally as well. Yeah, you're right. Na- I mean, they're huge, and I think he struggled a little bit with with sideline sideline coverage. And in this game, it's going to be a big physical run heavy game. I think this is a type of game where you can see Eddie get 13, 14 tackles and kind of change the pace of the game for Washington's defense. And and that's kind of what I want to see out of him. I'm going to be interested to see um, what shape, oh gosh, his name is escaping me now, our uh, rotational defensive end that uh, had to leave the game the other night. Uh, oh, Sakai. Sakai. Mm. Oh, just sorry, it's late. I thought he was doing a really good job. He's not he's not making all the splash plays, but he's doing a really good job at anchoring down and, and kind of controlling the, the edge a little bit. Um, you know, how how healthy, how many snaps can Thule play? Just kind of, you know, Bandis has given us valuable uh, snaps, but uh, you know, MJ Ale. We need these guys to control everything up front. We can't we can't let them run power down our throats all night long or all afternoon long. For me, it's the big guys up front. Just they don't have to be superstars. They just have to make sure that they can't get to the second level from the from the Utah offensive line. If you keep the linebackers clean, we're going to have a fun night. Okay, again, mm-hmm. it's a twelve thirty. I'm not used to this. I'm not programmed for afternoon games. <laughs> You've been beat into the submission of a four thirty or seven thirty kick. Yikes. And and going back, I'm having flashbacks of my Florida days when I would stay up till. 10 30 kickoffs on the east coast and be really angry that i stayed up till two o'clock in the morning to watch sark's teams do that and oh man a little frustrating at times but no 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 i i i love what you said about eddie and the linebackers but we got to keep them clean i'm interested to see the health of uh cam fab this week He's supposed to not have any limitations with the amount of snaps that he has to that he gets to take so we'll see if that's actually true and um, we'll see what kind of impact he can have because he was certainly impactful in the earliest part of the season and then had that injury against ASU. So he was out all ASU, all Stanford and all SC. So, um, or most of SC, probably not all of it, but interested to see what kind of an impact that he can make because he's had so much improvement from years past to this year. So want to see him, him continue that trajectory. Huge difference with him not on the field. 100%. Trev, who's yours? I think that you're going to see Dominic Hampton uh, a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage uh, as another linebacker, somebody that could be really impactful in the run game. Uh, I'd like to see him bring the physicality early, uh, and I think that'll set the tone for the rest of the defense. Get a get a pop, you know, kind of like a a la Mish Powell on, on Oregon. If we can get a couple of those, I think, and some negative plays put them just behind the sticks out of their rhythm. The game is going to be very long for Utah. So what do we got? We know the offense is going to be able to move the ball. We hope they're going to be able to continue to, or they're they're going to take care of the ball. What do you guys got for predictions? Yeah, like I said, um, Washington's defense isn't you, you know UCLA's or or Oregon State's, but I I don't think I don't think we're also going to give up thirty against Utah. <laughs> so with that being said, the first team to thirty wins, it's going to be Washington, thirty-one to eight, eight, eighteen. Leah, super super close and classic Leah and Jake fashion. <laughs> uh, Utah I can't, I can't has you. <laughs> you bro i posted something on twitter today which is wednesday about utah's record against washington utah's record against all teams in the pac-12 is really really good except for oregon and washington and utah's two and seven against washington and they're i believe oh and four when both teams are ranked that does not change on saturday i don't think that we're gonna hold utah to as low of a score as we did as they had against um oregon at the res but i think that washington has a better second half than utah does they make better adjustments and the huskies get out of husky stadium 28 17 dogs i've got two score predictions depending on how the weather looks Mm. so my original score prediction factoring in probable rain or some kind of weather maybe slightly slowing down the passing game 38 to 13 I like that. 
Whoa. If got, if <laughs> we got, are one point off. <laughs> if we've got clear skies, it's 45 <laughs> to 20. I wanted to just mention, I, we talked, we didn't talk about this at all, but coach, you just mentioned this. Um, I do see in the forecast um, 16 to 18 mile an hour wind gusts. And Trevor, I think you should do your prediction, but then maybe we can talk about weather and what that might do to particularly our offense. Leah, I can't believe that you did that because I actually have a segment that's going in from (laughs) an inspiring meteorologist talking about uh, what's going to be going on. So uh, thank you for that. That's awesome. Adeline Spears. So you're going to hear from Adeline at the end of the podcast, giving her expert take on where we're at. But I, (laughs) Coach, this is wild. I have written down 3713. So uh, we are right next to each other. So uh, I hope you're right. I like your prediction a little bit more. I love it. I'd like a really comfortable win against Utah. We're due for one. I really think it's going to happen well, too. I I, th- th- yeah, I I hate mentioning the CFP committee again, but <laughs> the fact that they haven't changed our ranking, but we're nine and a half point favorites against number what 18 in the nation 18, is, yeah. is mind blowing to me. I have a uh, question though. Uh, very seriously, who's going to be this year's Britain Covey for Utah? Who are we going to destroy and pancake flatten? We ended ended his career. I don't know. Maybe maybe the pig farmer, maybe Braylon Trice is just going to devour him. Going to make him into bacon? Yeah. (laughs) Cook, coach. (laughs) Cook. Bacon. Around the Pac-12, we have Arizona heading to Colorado. Colorado can lose one more game uh, and still hold out hope for a bowl game. One of those wins, if they do lose, is going to have to be to this Utah team. Uh, it's in Boulder. Arizona is a 10.5-point favorite with an over-under of 54.5. What do you guys think about this one? I'm riding high on my cats right now. Yeah. I'm predicting 28-15 Arizona, bear down, um, setting up for a big matchup next week in Tucson against Utah. So yeah. go cats this week. Jake? Yeah, Arizona covers. Um, Arizona's a good football team. Uh, that win keeps looking better. Oregon's win against Colorado keeps looking worse, and I love <laughs> it. And it's going to be even exponentially better after Arizona beats them by 20. Arizona's going to rush for over 220 yards on the ground against Colorado. They're going to control the tempo. Colorado get a couple splash plays here and there, but um, Arizona's going to cover, probably win by 20. Has anybody has anybody watched? Did anybody watch Colorado's game last week? <laughs> no. I try to avoid. I try to avoid bad football at all costs. It sure looks like Dion is putting Shador in the most awful situations humanly possible, and it. I don't know if he does it because he wants him to eventually just toughen up and succeed, or if he's just that ignorant that he just doesn't know what he's putting Shador in. It well, just... now, now since he's fired the OC and the quarterback coach, and now it's all on him, and he's got these media guys every week asking him, "Who do you like as a you know play caller better?" It's like, what's he supposed to say? Like, right. he's, I was the guy I fired. It's yeah, a huge distraction, and they're just. They're not good enough to kind of overcome stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They have the worst offensive and defensive lines in the Pac-12. Yes. Yeah, and they will get beat. I had a guy, I sent out a tweet basically airing my grievances about the college football playoff committee, and some guy came back with all the reasons why Washington shouldn't win, and he said that it took an onside kick to beat Arizona. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, Arizona's good, and we were in control of that game. Like, No, no, no. It- it took Jeremy fumbling the ball inside the five yard yeah. line to not to make it a relatively close. They scored late and made that look like a close game. Come on, I was uh, and and a hundred percent correct. So and, and, and look, but you know what? They keep winning. It makes us look better. I think they win by twenty. I agree. Um, this one, man, I feel like if if Cal really is serious about football, is they force their football team to go across the country every week to the East coast to play in the ACC. Justin Wilcox job has to be on the line here. They're three and six. They're hosting Washington state. They lose one more game and they will not go bowling. Feels like this is a kitchen sink kind of game. Washington state in a very different situation. They haven't won a game for a month and a week. Things don't look good. It's a one-point spread for Cal, so it's basically a pick 'em, uh, because you can't win by a half point. Man, this one. Think Washington State loses again. 
Uh, I agree yeah. with you. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jake. I think Jade not is the best play football player on the field in this game. Yeah. Um, I think he's the reason that Cal wins this game and it still has a chance to be bowl eligible until Jaden Ott sees UCLA's defense and UCLA dismantles California and ends their bowl season. But I do think Cal's going to win this game by three. It's going to be close. It's going to be like 21 to 24. We're always so close, Jake. Cal is going to win this game close against Washington State and they won't even need lightning to do it. Um, call it 27-21 Bears and the Cougs continue their downward spiral despite all of Jim Mora's greatest wishes being with Utah on Saturday. Which which will end Washington State's bid for a uh, bowl game, essentially, because they still have to play in the Apple Cup. So yeah. we all know what's going to happen. They're not winning that game. Yeah. Oops. Not even close. Oops. We're going to put a 50-burger up on them. I think you're probably right. Coach, what do you got? Well, you know, I, I, I think I saw somebody tweet out this week, somebody who's affiliated with Cal, who basically said, what does it take to get fired as the Cal? <laughs> that is such a good question. It's like it's like working for the federal <laughs> government. <laughs> They're like, we know nobody wants this job. For some reason, you keep hanging around. <laughs> We're just going to keep you around. But, you know, the Cougs have been down for the last month or so. They've just been getting their, you know, their hats handed to them. And I think what's going to happen is Jaden Odd is going to get him up to a nice lead. Cam Ward's going to come up, come on and, and just kind of pull some plays out of his rear end and, and make it close at the end. And late in the fourth quarter, as Cal is ready to seal the deal, some kind of weird something weird always happens at Cal. Some protesters are going to run onto the field, much like the much the like tuba the in their hand. band back in the day. Yeah. Reverse <laughs> karma. They're going to take out the safety and Washington State is going to slip into the end zone as time expires. <laughs> kick the extra point and win 20 uh, 28 to 27. Um, what what time is that kicking off? Is that after dark? football oh, that is uh one o'clock on espn one two. o'clock you guys okay well we're not watching it then so yeah coach if that happens you and me we're going to vegas together and we're putting <laughs> it all on black baby what <laughs> some, some weird kids with like meat is murder shirts run onto the field and accidentally <laughs> tackle the cow safety and uh I want to live inside Coach's brain. I'm like just throwing that. it out there. You want That's no so part cool. of that, Leah. I, I, <laughs> I spend a, I spend my, most of my days sleep deprived and working around teenagers all day. It's 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 wild. And now you get a podcast with us. So <laughs> how's that going for you too? <laughs> you have to deal with Jake, so I really don't see how that's any different than a teenager. <laughs> They're more mature. <laughs> Speaking of kids who like to pick on Jake, Stanford heads to Oregon State. <laughs> Um, Sue Jake. That was an incredible segue. Oh my god! Thank you. Uh, This one, you know, I guess there's a little bit of rumblings about possibly game day come to Corvallis. So we really want Oregon State to cover that 21 point spread because that would be pretty awesome to be a part of two game days in one season. I I don't see why this shouldn't happen. Oregon State can run the ball, they can throw the ball, and Stanford's really bad at stopping both of those things. So. Uh, I think that I think they're going to I think they're going to cover 21 is a lot of points. They'll probably cover it. If not, as long as they win emphatically, that's all I care about. Uh, I have Oregon State winning, but not covering. I have them winning by like 14. I have them winning, like running away and probably putting second string in the in the middle of the fourth quarter. uh, 42-18. Whoa. Awesome. So people always, you know, when we talk about our dogs, we, we always worry about that trap game. You know, like, hey, we just came mm-hmm. up with Oregon. There's ASU and Stanford before we see USC, these trap games. I feel like Oregon State has so much to play for that they're going to be kind of hyper-focused on our game. Mm. I think it's going to be a close game at halftime. Half Stanford might actually hold a lead. But in the end, those plucky Beavers are going to win, I'd say, by 13 points. Yeah, that's the perfect game for them before Washington comes to town, right? I mean, we gotta we gotta go play one of the most tenacious defenses 
in the Pac-12 and they get Stanford and uh and that that sets up a tough week for Washington. Next up we have Arizona State who just looks <laughs> looks so bad right now headed to UCLA who is really struggled. They're 3 and 3 in Pac-12 play. They're no longer ranked. Their offense is bad too. Their quarterbacks went down. It looks like it's going to be Colin Schley unless one of those other guys is ready to go. A couple of backups at quarterback for both teams. Uh, It's an 18-point spread. I don't know if UCLA can score 18 points, but if they are going to score 18 points more than somebody else, it's going to be Arizona State, so they're going to cover. Yeah, I, I, I'm i having a hard time with this game. I, I think UCLA wins by seven. I, yeah, I, I mean, they're 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 hurting. So the over-under is 43 and a half. Do you take the over or the under? I take the under. I do too. Yeah. Not very often I take the under also, but I am on this game. Yeah, I think that's a that's that's your money. If you're doing a parlay right now, that's the one you want. You I'm want. taking I know a nobody cares about your parlay, but B, if I, <laughs> I'm going on that parlay, I'm taking the under on this game and then the Washington Utah game. Oh, uh, yeah, that's I don't know if I mentioned it, it's 51 and a half. So that would be putting Utah over 20 points. If yeah. if so, I, I don't know about that. Arizona State is probably going to make it close with UCLA, and they're going to score more certainly than they did um, at Utah last week. But um, <laughs> can't do much worse. Cannot do much worse. Twenty-one fourteen, baby blue. Having you know mentioned the backup quarterback situation and two offenses that are really not built for speed, I know that I won't want to watch any of this game, but it is on seven o'clock my time, so. Maybe after I'm I'm done, you know, gleefully celebrating the rest of my day after we blow out Utah, um, I might peek in to watch a what I can only describe as a slog fest. UCLA will win by the score of thirteen to two. <laughs> the the good news for everybody else who isn't coach is it's going to be hard for most of the country to watch this because it is on the Pac-12 Network. Uh, and our final game. 7.30 on Fox, USC heads to uh, Oregon. Oregon's a 15-point favorite. The over-under is 73.5. Well, Alex Wrench isn't there anymore, so the defense is going to do one of two things. They're going to rally around the fact that their coach got fired or they're going to be just as bad and just as gap undisciplined as they were against Washington. That'd be worse. <laughs> Touche. I'm really afraid for the USC defense going up against a running attack like Oregon. Uh, I think Bucky Irving's in for a big day. 15's a lot of points, though, because USC also has a really good offense. And Oregon has a a, a you know a pretty good defense that can get scored on. So I don't think Oregon covers. I think they win. They probably win by about 10 points. That would be my assumption, and I'm taking the over. That's a good smart. Uh, I will say... I've been talking to my buddy J-Cap all week. Shout out J-Cap and double shout out J-Cap because I forgot to shout him out last week and coach absolutely (laughs) railroaded me after we uh, ended the pod. But one of our biggest hopes this week is that Oregon is is just, they're due for a clunker. They're due for a game where they don't play their best. They're actually facing probably the best offense, like, Wait, one B in terms of the best offense in the conference, and they almost gave up forty to the other one. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and Caleb Williams has one last chance to save what he is to the University of Southern California, and if he plays, I believe this is going to be the game that is like marketed to him as like if you go in and you win this game, you're back in the rankings. Um, the Pac-12 championship is back on the table and you have a chance to do something special after you just lost to Washington. I'm not sure it's going to happen, but I love that framework of just like Oregon is due for a clunker of a game. The last time they played a, a pretty decent offense at off at Autzen, I can't remember what happened. I think they lost. <laughs> so, you know, and, and we know that Dan Lanning struggles on fourth downs and with questionable decision-making. So I am calling Oregon 45-37, but like asterisk this game, it is not only like kind of a game where 
Oregon's kind of in that weird part of their season. And like I said, they're due for a game and they don't play their best. It's also Pac-12 after dark and it kicks off at seven and strange things happen. I keep my eyes on this. I'm excited to watch it. And let's just, let's pray for chaos ball, but 45, 37 ducks. Um, and I, and I hope I'm wrong. You said it better than I would have if I was going to say it. Um, your vernacular is better than mine. All of those points were going to get thrown out. Um, I, I I agree with every single point that you made. Um, USC is fighting for their last breath of conference championship hopes. Caleb Williams is on his last, last breath for a Heisman potential run. And for that reason, I am going to pick USC to win this game. I'm going to pick them 35 to 28. Oregon's offense gets stifled. FTFO. But for reals, every time we've ever put any hope in USC, what is it? Oh, they let me down miserably. You're you're ready to get hurt again, huh? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let's just, let's hold on just a second. The last two times we have been hoping for something to happen as it pertained to like either Oregon or USC, that Utah has been involved and Utah always does the exact opposite of what we want them to do. So I I think there, there, I think there's a chance. So you're telling me there's a chance. And also USC did let me down last week by dropping the ball right before half. So, I mean, I, I, they could go two weeks in a row. So I'm trying to figure out, I've been trying to look online to see if Marshawn Lloyd is going to play this week. Uh, I don't know what his status is. Because if he's playing, that changes my my outlook. I think he's amazing. I think, you know, Bucky's obviously a big stud over at Oregon. DJ's a really good player for us. There's some really good running backs in the conference in Jade Knott, but that kid is legitimately a bell cow in the NFL. All right? This is one of those games where it's going to be annoying no matter what happens for Husky fans. Either Oregon wins again, and it's like, ah, oh, geez, we have to listen to these jerks for another week. Or USC wins off the back of an amazing, otherworldly Caleb Williams performance, and all of a sudden some idiot on ESPN says, I think he's back at the forefront for the Heisman, and pushes that narrative. And maybe maybe we blow out Utah, or maybe we have a comfortable game against Utah where Mike doesn't have to throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns, and you know, we have to listen to this narrative now. Either way, I think when you're trying to decide on those two things, just go with Oregon failing. I think that, you know, the Pac-12 after dark is going to be a huge factor. I don't think USC has the defense to stop Oregon on a consistent basis, but I feel like they're going to, maybe Bullock is going to steal a couple tip balls in the back end and and maybe USC is going to get a couple extra possessions which is going to be wild when the Trojans pull the upset 54 to 49. They have, and they have Bucky listed as questionable. Does anybody know what that injury is? It does say, it does say that he practiced on Wednesday, but I I don't know what his, what his injury even is. Is it something that might, he's listed as questionable. So, I mean, the chances of him playing are probably pretty good still. You're not going to know either way because they don't actually put out an injury report that question and I didn't watch the Oregon game last week so um I couldn't tell you they're not gonna he probably got banged up they're not gonna say anything because that's that's not what uh Oregon does so yeah we'll see if Bucky Irving's out that's a big deal is he out no it just says he's questionable Hmm. so my guess is he'll probably be playing did you did you say your prediction Trev yeah I said Oregon would cover by 10 Mm. Not cover, but win by 10. Okay. It's going to be fun to watch, though. Gosh. I'm really excited for it. I as know. A, as I just that, a football fan. I thought Oregon-Utah was going to be kind of fun to watch, and I turned it off after like five minutes. I was like, oh, this is not good. He has a t- chance to get back into a game when they're down. At least they have that ability. Yeah. Last time Oregon was 14 to 15 point favorites at Autzen against a good team. I can't remember what happened. <laughs> Trevor, I think you went to that game. I was there. <laughs> yeah, that was... <laughs> My both of my two of the three of my children's first game, so Love that was it. pretty awesome for them. All right, well, we'll be back to uh recap this Utah game, uh, Sunday night, Monday morning. So, for Trevor Mueller, Jake Grant, UW, Coach V, go dogs, go dogs, go dogs and go toros.
3% beer is water and jello salad sucks. Go dogs. Hello, Husky Nation. My name is Adeline Spears, and I'm bringing you your Husky Game Day weather forecast for this game day against Utah. As the regular season comes to an end, the Huskies tackle one of their final opponents, this time at home in Husky Stadium. Ranked Utah will get a taste of typical Seattle weather as you will feel right at home with a high of 54 and those rainy skies that are ever so common when it gets around winter time. The rain should hold off for kickoff, but it definitely won't for tailgating. All of those who have intentions of tailgating don't get thrown off by the chilly, windy, and rainy conditions you will have to fend off. While you set up your grills and tents, you will definitely need to be wearing a rain jacket and even bring an umbrella just in case because that rain is no joke. You do not want to get caught off guard without your rain gear. This rain will taper off throughout mid-morning and then cloudy conditions will ensue. Sail gating is also not going to be an easy feat for anyone this game day. Exceptionally windy conditions will be in place on Saturday. You can expect constant, consistent winds at around 18 miles per hour with gusts up to 35 miles per hour all throughout the morning hours, which without a doubt could cause a wrench in your plans. Another aspect the wind plays a role in is the passing of the football, which could be skewed off course by those unruly breezes. Something to look forward to amidst the unsatisfactory conditions would be the kickoff, where the rain, where the weather will substantially increase. The rain will cease and the temperatures will peak in the mid-50s, but you best believe the atmosphere in Husky Stadium will outweigh the rather poor weather this Saturday. The Husky fan base is unique in the way they always show up, rain or shine. And this game day is a perfect and prime example of the uniqueness and the dedication of Husky Nation. The dogs need your support, so come out and show out in all of your purple and white Husky gear this game day at 1230 this Saturday. Go Huskies!